is the search for meaning. People look around the world and try to find why. Why does life like it is? What is my purpose in life? Why does, what is the meaning of the things that I experience? And life for many is a search for that meaning. A man named Viktor Frankl pursued life as a philosopher, as a, uh, as a psychologist, as a neuroscientist. And he came up with a, a theory of life that was forged out of the, fur- the, the furnaces of suffering. Frankl was a man who was subjected to the horrors of Auschwitz. He, along with the rest of his family, his mom and his dad, his brother and his sister, were all taken to Auschwitz along with his wife. And as a young man, he was interned there. And his family went on to other places. He himself served time in three other concentration camps of the Nazi army. And he suffered at the hands of that terrible time. His mother and, and, and his brother were both gassed at Auschwitz. His father went on to die in a ghetto, another concentration camp, a ghetto that was set up. And he died there in his old age of pneumonia and malnutrition. Frankel saw his own wife succumb to the horrors of Auschwitz, and he was, she was taken from him as well. And after he came out of those terrible times, he penned a book in just a few days' time entitled Man's Search for Meaning. 1.3 million people went into Auschwitz. Of those 1.3, only 1.1 or 1.1 million of them died Only 200,000 out of the 1.3 survived that horror. That's a terrible time. It's a terrible thing. And as Viktor Frankl tried to make sense of it, he tried to find purpose and meaning in all of that suffering. Sigmund Freud said that pleasure was what man sought after. Alfred, Alfred Andler said that it was power. But Viktor Frankl said purpose. Meaning was what men were after. That's what we wanted to see as the meaning of our life was that we had meaning at all. A a reason to believe in free will. That's what he was after. He came up with something in the fires of that furnace that he was in, concentration camps, called logotherapy. And it has three tenets to it. One, make a difference in the world. Two, have a particular experience. And three, adopt particular attitudes. So that as he looked at the world around him, he tried to say, well, I'm here for some purpose, and so I need to find whatever that is and just make some kind of difference in the world. I need to then have a particular kind of experience, and oftentimes that was one of suffering, and he knew suffering well, so even if if it were suffering, then adopt a particular attitude toward those things that would help you get through it. And so Frankel devoted his life to this. He died at at, the, uh, at a, a ripe old age in uh, 90, 1997, so he's not been away from us long. His book, uh, The Meaning, uh, The Man's Search for Meaning, was among the most influential books written in the early 90s. People were adopting this idea of logotherapy that as we look at the world around us, we simply are assigning meaning to it based on our individual experiences, and that is not uncommon. It's not uncommon for even some of you in this room as you struggle through the, the, the furnace of life and sometimes those things that you don't understand, you begin to search for what that means. Peter, in his letters, and especially here in 1 Peter, is writing to, in verse 
verse 1, the elect exiles of the dispersion. These were these Gentile believers that because of their faith in Jesus Christ were scattered through these regions of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And they were being persecuted very specifically because of their faith. And so in this persecution, in this crucible of sorrow that they were living in, Peter wanted them to have hope. Last week, we looked at verses 3 through 9, and we talked about the, the benefit of the new birth and the benefits that that brings to us and how we can have hope, a living hope, because of the new birth. This week, we want to look at the hope of real meaning. Because there is meaning in life. But it is not meaning that we dredge out of ourselves. It is meaning that has been spoken to us. And what we see in this next text, verses 10 through 12, is the meaning that God has for us. But if you would, before we start, go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 16 with me. It says this, For we did not follow clearly devised, cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. What is more sure than the voice coming down from heaven. What could be more sure than hearing the very voice of God in our ears? Well, Peter says here in verse, in verse 18, we have something more sure. In verse 19, he says, It is the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The meaning that we have in life is clearly discerned when we know that we are reading it and hearing it from God himself. So whatever meaning other men may assign to life, when we as Christians come to that question, we look for the meaning in the words that have been revealed through the Spirit of God. And in this, we have a hope, a real and living hope for real meaning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us in the preaching of your word. Father, we thank you for revealing it to us. And as we come to this revelation, Father, let us hang our hope upon it, that we might be changed and that we might see your glory and that we might hope in you completely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, so if you turn your Bibles back over there, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. These three verses, I think, are a phenomenal study in how we hear God, His revelation to us. And there are two points to this text that I want you to see as action steps to take concerning your life and how you live life in the world. And we're going to split this this, these three verses into two sections. The first is verses 10 and 11, and then we're going to take verse 12 as its own section. And so the first, I'm going to give you these two points together. 
These two points are your action steps as you come away from this text. The first of those is inspect, inspect the meaning of God's revelation. So as we look at the Word of God, we are to inspect the meaning of God's revelation. You'll see that in verses 10 and 11. The second action step I want you to take from this is that you are to expect the revelation of God's meaning. So when you read the Word and you search the Word, then as a believer in Jesus and as one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, then you should expect the revelation of God's meaning. So those are the two things I want you to come away with. The Word and the revelation that God's given us is a revelation that leads to hope. And we have hope in real meaning in life. He has not left us wondering. He has spoken to us. He's revealed it to us. His revelation is clear. And we should inspect the meaning of God's revelation. And then after inspection, we should expect the revelation of God's meaning. Now, I've got five observations attached to both of these points. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write those two points down. And then I want you to take observations one through five under each of those. And we're just going to walk through this text together and show you how Peter is giving you a hope for real meaning in the revelation that God has given us. So, inspect the meaning of God's revelation. And let's look at that together. Let me give you five observations beginning in verse 10. I'll tell you what, before I do that, let me read the text for you. How about that? Starting in verse 10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So let's make some observations on the first part of this, verses 10 and 11, which is inspect the meaning of God's revelation. First observation, salvation is the purpose of God's revelation. We see it here at the very beginning of this section. In the Greek and in the English, it's rendered out concerning this salvation. Really, if you were looking at both of these sections, the simple sentence here is, the prophet searched and inquired. But we start with this phrase, concerning this salvation. So this is what the prophets were searching about and inquiring into. It was the purpose of God's revelation that they be aware of a salvation to come. So salvation is the purpose of God's revelation. And it shows us that our ultimate need is reconciliation with God. Romans 1 shows us that we are all running from God, that we are all needing God, and that in our natural state, we turn away from Him. We suppress the truth. Romans 1.18 says exactly that. We suppress the truth. We become futile in our thinking. That left in our natural state, what we see around us reveals a natural revelation, but it does not give us enough to be saved. All we see there is enough to condemn us, and we will then suppress the truth that God has implanted His image, made us out of His image, and in glory and to His glory, in His image, 
and he has put his law inside of us. We know all these things are true, and yet we suppress the truth so that we can worship idols made in our own image. But salvation is the purpose of God's revelation. You have to remember that Peter is writing mainly to Gentile believers. And Gentile believers were formerly without God in the world. They did not have the prophets. They did not have the fathers. They did not have the the hope of Messiah. They They were Gentiles outside of the land of Israel, outside of the people of God. They didn't have the promises of God. They didn't have an inheritance with God. And now that they are in Christ, what is Peter doing but instructing them to show them, you know, all of the prophets, all of the fathers, all the things that came before are for you. And this salvation is for you. As God calls his people out unto himself, he's calling you out unto himself. He doesn't make a a differentiation between these Gentile believers and Israel. For we are all Israel in Christ. And the promises that are fulfilled are fulfilled in Christ. And so he's he's telling them, connect your life in Christ to all that has come before. And salvation is the purpose of that revelation. Second observation. Grace is the perspective of God's revelation. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about judgment. About the law. About commands, about curses. Is that what the Bible says? What were the prophets prophesying about? These prophets of old. These prophets from the Old Testament. What was their message? Peter writes, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. You see, the message of the prophets, we oftentimes think of them as being the harbingers of God's fiery wrath. And ready to call down fire from heaven. Ready to, be, ready to pounce upon those that would dare to impugn his holiness. Ready to utterly destroy those who would dare to question his authority. But the, but the prophet's message is one ultimately of grace. He's revealing through the prophets that there is indeed a standard. But that there also is hope to come. A Messiah who will come for them. Think of Jonah as he is commissioned to go and to preach the message of good news. His fear was not that they would reject the good news and kill him. His fear was that they would accept the good news and that God's wrath would be turned from them because he had a prejudiced heart. But as he is constrained by the Lord and spat out upon the land that he's supposed to preach at, he unwillingly goes through the town preaching the news, the prophecy of judgment. And what happens? Indeed, they do turn. They do put down their wickedness. They turn to the Lord, and he does indeed spare them. You see, every word of the prophets always points toward grace, that if we would but turn from our sin, there is forgiveness. So the grace that we have is all the way back, even to the garden itself, as God sees Adam and Eve in their sin and and takes two animals to take their skin, to take their life, and cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. You see their grace from the Lord. Grace from God, a covering of sin. That's always been the message of our revelation. Prophets were those who spoke the word of God that was given to them, as we read in 2 Peter. And it's a progressive revelation. It says, prophesied about the grace that was to be, future tense, yours. It was looking forward to something greater than what they could even understand. As we saw Daniel sick with the vision 
perplexed at its meaning and not understanding it. He had to wait for there to be a fuller revelation, a progressive revelation that then fully revealed the intention of God's saving action in Christ. Third observation, mystery is the product of God's revelation. Mystery is the product of God's revelation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Why? Why did they search and inquire carefully? Because they did not understand the fullness of what was being said to them. They received the revelation of God, and yet they must look into it. They must study it. These words searched and inquired are almost identical words, but searched carries this connotation of seeking with uninterrupted diligence, just staying after it. Much like when you're studying the Bible or studying for some presentation of any kind, you just have to kind of keep yourself in the seat and keep working at it until you fully understand the material for yourself. That's what it's showing here. And then inquired carefully really means careful examination. Like a detective that wants to unravel the mysteries of a crime scene. He's taking in every little clue and then he's pouring over those to see how they might be connected. That is what the prophets did. And notice, this is the ones, these are the ones who were given the prophecy, who were given the revelation of God. And so the ones who have the revelation of God are the ones who long to look into it, to study it, to turn it over, to examine it. You have the revelation of God in Scripture. That is why you ought to turn it over, think on it carefully, search and inquire of what the Lord has said. Those who have not been given God's word could care less what he says. But if we, we recognize that this is God's revelation to us, then we hold it as precious and we desire to look into its words. Fourth observation. The Spirit is the provenance of God's revelation. The Spirit is the provenance of God's revelation. Look what it says. They inquired of this, of this prophecy. They inquired what person or time was indicating, or the Spirit of Christ, what person or what time was the Spirit of Christ in them indicating. So who is giving the prophecy? Who is giving the information, the revelation from God? Where is this coming from? Well, you see it here in verse 11. The prophets of old were being told and revealed truth from God by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is the provenance of God's revelation, the beginning, the source. And it's always been that way. The Spirit wasn't born on Pentecost. He didn't just begin to exist in tongues of fire. The Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit has always been present. The Spirit has always been active all the way through the Old Testament. The Spirit gives gifts. He prophesies into the, to the hearts and minds of men and women as they speak God's Word. The Spirit is the one who is speaking. The Spirit here, Peter reveals, the Spirit of Christ. So there is Jesus all the way through the scriptures, speaking his word to men. He is making himself known. That is the only way we can come to any sort of divine revelation. It is the only way we can know what God says, is that if he himself reveals it. Fifth observation, Christ is the point of God's revelation. Christ is the point of God's revelation. Look here. The prophets were inquiring about what person or what time 
will this Christ come? When will this Christ be on the scene? Who is this Christ that I can trust in him, that I can look to him for salvation? When will this Messiah come and render useless the the nations? When will he put all of his enemies under his feet? When will he exalt us in our salvation? What time can I expect him? How will I recognize this Messiah? Isn't that amazing that in the Old Testament, as they looked for the first advent of Christ, they are asking the same questions that we ask in the revelation that we've been given of the fullness of Christ and in the revelation we've been given of the end of time, we still are asking the questions, how can I recognize Jesus? When will he come? And can I tell you, in the middle of the pandemic, when there was so much so much isolation and so much misinformation and so much fear, we began as sometimes even church began to ask questions that were really, at the end of the day, very strange. We began to wonder if the vaccine was some kind of mark of the beast that would implant microchips in our bodies that we would then be be marked out that we wouldn't see Christ because we've taken the mark of the beast. And I can just tell you, those are just, those are silly. That is not a way to think rightly about the world. We begin to ask questions on, are these the signs of the end times? And I think we're always curious to know, but I can tell you, we begin to grasp at things that started to sound good to us, and charlatans came in, because that's always been the way. Wolves came in to prey upon even the elect and began to try to draw away even the elect. And I will tell you, I'll bring up a name just because I've heard this name over and over and over again in our congregation. If you've been listening to Jonathan Kahn, please stop. Man is a false prophet. And he's taken one little verse from Scripture and he's built an entire theology around it. And he's saying that he has new mysteries to reveal to you from from the Bible. And let me tell you, there is nothing new in what he's saying. It is contrived It is false information, and we need not cling to that sort of thing. You see, if we are asking the questions, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, what's the subject of that? What's the point of God's revelation? The point of God's revelation is that Christ would come and that he would suffer and then be glorified. If they got caught up on the details, do you know what happened? They missed him completely. Israel rejected Christ and murdered him on a tree. Do you know that sometimes if we get caught up in all the details, we will miss the forest for the trees? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, let me just put your mind at ease. You will not miss Jesus. He keeps you. He's not waiting for you to hang on tight to his coattails as he comes flying through. He will come to lovingly gather you to himself. You will not miss him. And when he comes, you will not have some random mark on your body that you didn't realize was the mark of the beast. And he will come and look at you and go, whoops, not you, not today. I mean, I was stamped at the uh, Georgia Aquarium yesterday and it's just now starting to come off. It's not as if we're going to accidentally stumble into the mark of the beast. And Jesus is going to look at you and go, well, that's not one of mine. No. He knows you. He keeps you. He's put his mark upon you. Quit worrying about what it is that you might or might not put in your body or carry around in your wallet. 
Just trust the Lord and see Christ clearly. That's what the point of God's revelation is. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Secondly, expect then the revelation of God's meaning. So when we get into verse 12, expect the revelation of God's meaning. We don't just inspect the meaning of God's revelation, but when we inspect it and look at it carefully, we can then expect the revelation of God's meaning. The Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to teach you how to understand his revelation. Isn't that wonderful? General revelation is what we see in Romans 1 when we look at nature around us. And in that nature, we see the glories of God and we recognize that he has created all things. We know that. There's never been an atheist in the world or an agnostic in the world that has not in his heart or her heart known that there was a creator because it was stamped in them and they can see it clearly. They suppress that truth in their flesh. That's general revelation. It's not enough to save us. Special revelation, every single one of you either has this in your hand, on your phone, or all of you can see it in the pew back in front of you. It is the word of God given to us and canonized through all of what we have brought it to, the fullness, the Spirit has written this in His power through men, and we see this clearly. This is God's special revelation that reveals to us all of His works from beginning until the end. He has made Himself clearly known, and we can expect the revelation of God's meaning. That doesn't mean it's always clear to us. Daniel laid down sick with worry and stress over the vision that he saw, and he did not understand it. Can I confess to you, when I read Revelation and when I read Daniel, there's a lot in there that I don't automatically understand. And there are a lot of really orthodox views about the end times. I'm certain that I don't see the end as the same way that some of you see the end. But that's okay. We can read these things and we can come to somewhat different conclusions about the end. It's not always immediately evident to us. But here's what we know for sure. It will be revealed to us very clearly. And he has given us enough in this text, enough in his revelation that we can see him and know him and not be led astray. So this is where we can expect the revelation of God's meaning. Let me give you some observations here. First of all, understanding flows from God's mercy. Understanding flows from God's mercy. Look at what it says. It was revealed to them. When they searched their prophecy, when they searched for this meaning, is it that they, by their own powerful intellect, made the connections and saw very clearly and then so understood the words of God? No. It was revealed to them. You see, God is active in teaching us what he has said to us and showing us the meaning of those words. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they cannot. They find them folly and they are not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do You see, if we are natural men and women, if we just have a natural inclination, if we're not believers in Christ and are not indwelt with the Spirit of God, do you know we cannot understand ultimately the Bible? We can understand lots of facts about the Bible. We can understand themes about the Bible. We can be very academic with the Bible. But we will not see Jesus and put our faith in him, which is the point. 
That must be spiritually discerned. That must be revealed to us by God's power. It is revealed to them. Second observation, service flows from God's message. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Service flows out of God's revelation. The prophets knew they weren't just receiving a word from the Lord for themselves. You'll notice that the prophets didn't just receive a word from the Lord and then write a book about it and then promote their book and sell their book for everybody to hear and read. And they didn't show up at signing tables. The prophets weren't the people that, that, that wrote a book about dying and going to hell or dying and going to heaven and then coming back with all this wonderful information about what heaven and hell are like and then making sure that there's a book tour attached to that particular experience of death and resurrection. That's not what happens with the prophets. The prophets are given a message from God and the prophets do not profit from it. Many times they went to their own deaths because of that message. They served the people of God by going and saying what God had told them to say. Jeremiah had to sit in a seat of scorpions to tell his message. If you were promised a life like that, would you rush out these doors to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? I hope so. What the prophets knew was that this was a message for the people and they must tell it. And that's where service comes from. They're serving not themselves. It was revealed to them. They weren't serving themselves. These things that were given to them, like Daniel. Hey, the angel comes to Daniel. Hey, Daniel, this is not right now. This is for many days to come. This is for someone in the future. And so quiet your spirit. Understand that these things will come. Doesn't that teach us something about revelation when we come to the text? And if we don't quite understand everything we read, then it shows us patience. And patiently, we then just continue to pray and read and pour ourselves into the Word of God and seek it. Doesn't it remind you of Jesus' words? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. When our capacity is full of understanding, God can increase our capacity. All we must do is continue to seek Him. Continue to give ourselves to Him and to see Him then enlarging our capacity for understanding of his word. Sometimes sin keeps us from that. Sometimes just the, the, uh, our own selfishness, our own hubris, our own pride keeps us from that. But God is looking for those that would follow him that would humble themselves and not walk in their own way, but by all their understanding, lean on him. And he'll make their path straight. See, that's what service does. Third observation, proclamation flows from God's manifestation. They were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you. The, met, the prophet's message was then given to a voice down the road, and that voice began to proclaim the good news of the gospel. You see it here. It's been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. So what's happening the message of the prophets is now in the hands of the preachers. And the preachers are standing up with the word of God and are announcing the fullness of Christ to the church. That's what Peter is doing. I didn't write this by my own hand. I am doing this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he writes this letter in the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be read to those 
in the churches and they can cling to the hope that the word that was preached of old is the word that they hang their hat on today. You see, wherever God manifests himself, and especially through Christ, then we see the proclamation flowing from that. In Isaiah, you see him having a vision of God's glory and an angel takes a hot burning coal from the altar and touches his lips and says, now you're free from sin. His mouth is ready to proclaim. And Jesus, or, and then God himself says, who will go for us? And Isaiah stands on ready. Send me. Here am I. Send me. When we see God's revelation, when we see Jesus manifest to us in the pages of Scripture, then we are always ready to proclaim him. Peter and John in Acts 4.20 say, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. You can't shut us up. That's why the church, by the way, will never fold up like a lawn chair in the face of the culture. The gates of hell can't, can't, uh, can't prevail against us. Much less a city council, much less a government, much less somebody with tanks, much less somebody with a, uh, with a, with a battering ram that would knock down your door or somebody that would take you and take your life. Nothing prevails against you. You're going to proclaim it to the end no matter what comes. Fourth observation, truth flows from God's mission. It says, to those who preach the good news to you by a familiar character, by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. You see, revelation always comes through the Spirit. We've already said that. But this mission of making the gospel known to the world, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is proclaiming Christ in all things through his people in all places. The Holy Spirit prophesied the means of the gospel. He prophesied the means of the gospel. He told us how it would happen. And then he proclaims, and now he proclaims the manifestation of the gospel. He said in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. And now in the New Testament, he says, it's Jesus. The proclamation of the gospel has always been the central point of our faith. And the people in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith, they did not receive what was promised. Why? Because they had not yet seen the fullness of the Messiah come. But we have. We have Jesus revealed to us. The revelation is complete. We've seen him in his glory because we've seen him in the text of Holy Scripture. Fifth observation. Worship then flows from God's messengers. Those, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Angels are created beings that have always been with God. Some of them are called elect angels in the scriptures. There are, there, that, therefore, that means there are non-elect angels in the scriptures. Those are the angels that sinned and rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. We know them as demons. Satan is one of those angels, and they have a place of judgment forever in fire. The elect angels are those who never sinned against God and they remain in heaven with him. They are his creatures and we are created a little lower than the angels, but his angels have always been with him. And they behold his glories in every way except one. They do not know the redemptive love of God because there is no redemption for an angel. There is no cross. There is no blood. There is no salvation for an angel who sins against God. They simply are kept righteous or they were not. And so when they see God's love for us, in redemptive love for us, they long to look at it. It's not because they're ignorant of anything. 
and they're not jealous. What they see in God's redemptive love for us makes them want to worship Him and adore Him even more. They long to look at it. They desire to look at His love for you and for me because it is something that they do not experience for themselves. They see people who have been in full rebellion against God and yet God loved them so much He sent His Son to die for them. He redeems them out of that pit and he brings them to be with him forever in glory. And the angels, all they say is, hallelujah. Let us look at this thing that glorifies God so completely. What a wondrous thing about God. The messengers of God look at him and glory and adore him for his redemptive love of mankind. This salvation is a glorious thing to behold. And if the angels who've never experienced it love to stare at it, then who are we? What is our response to the salvation that God has brought? Auschwitz? What a horrible, horrible thing. It's terror. It's existential terror. It's one of the most horrific events in all of human history, yet it is only a mere microcosm of the terror of our real spiritual reality. You see, wherever we see an Auschwitz, there is something that is rooted underneath it. As it pops up into our little world, it is something rooted underneath it that's far more ugly and far more dangerous. And that is the sin that will destroy. It is a second death. So when we stare at this salvation... When we see this revelation of what Jesus has done for us, what happens there, it is the hope of real meaning in life. Is your devotion to salvation, is it about intellectual satisfaction or is it about eternal satisfaction? Do you want to know the things? Are you seeking and asking questions of this because you want to have the next argument and you want to win the next round? Or you want to have... Another trick in your intellectual bag? Is it about feeling good about the way that you understand the text? Or is it about the revelation of Jesus Christ and and, and seeing him fully so that you can know him forever? If Christ's return is an inconvenience for you, then that may not be the safest place to be. If it interrupts the life that you have and you would rather him wait a little while, then you may not have known Christ completely. But if you have your hands on the plow and your hands are bleeding and raw and calloused from the work that he has set you to and your muscles are tired and you are ready for a thirst-quenching drink of water and you are ready to get out of the beating sun and away from the cries and the things that tear against you, if you are ready for respite, and you then look and you see the master returning, if your reaction then is, oh, bless God, I have waited. I was almost at the end and I needed you. I'm so glad that you are here. I have fixed my eyes on you. My hope is in you. I'm so glad that you told me of yourself so that I could have a hope to cling to. And now you are here. Bless God, I enter into my rest. Be glorified in me. Use me any way you want. And Jesus, at that time, will gather his people to himself and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest.
that hope begins with the revelation of God as he speaks. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all the things that you have revealed to us in Scripture. And we praise you this morning for the chance to just look into it. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that the Spirit of God reveals to us the message of God. We're so thankful we have the Word and we have the Spirit that we can use discernment and that we can use that discernment to hope in Christ in all things. He is hope and joy in Jesus Christ. What we know is confidence in your salvation. So Lord, as we sing in preparation for worship, as we come before you to give you adoration and praise, Lord, I pray that you work in the hearts of the people here. Lord, I cannot open a heart, only you can do it. You are the only one that can reveal truth. So by your Holy Spirit, Lord, call the name of that one here today that doesn't know you and let them give their life completely to Jesus Christ. Father, help us to cast off sin and repent of the things that we cling to that so easily entangle us. Lord, help us to tear down the walls of division between us that we would be in unity together, that we might not walk around angry at someone or frustrated with someone, but we would go to that person and reconcile in Jesus Christ because you have made us your people. Lord, do this by your power among us as we worship you today. It's in your name we pray, amen.